Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Welcome to my podcast, Second Chance. This episode is a continuation of my conversation with Larry Loughton, a jewellery store robber who in the previous episode described his life growing up in the Bronx in the United States and his connection with the American Mafia. He stole millions worth of diamonds and other valuables until he was caught by the FBI. We pick up the story with the amounts of money he was making from the crimes he committed. During your reign, if you like, the string of robberies that you were carrying out, you talked about, you know, the, the value of 800000 a store sometimes. So you were obviously making a lot of money. And I've read reports that says it was up to around $18 million. What did you do with the money? I mean, were you a lavish lifestyle liver? You know, was you flaunting your ill-gotten gains? Was Larry the sort of guy who spent it on, you know, women, drugs and casinos? Or did you squirrel it away so that you had a nice, quiet life building to the future? I mean, what was it like with the money? Boy, that second thing you said would have been great, squirreling it away. But, you know, no gangster does. John Gotti once said, if I find a gang, one of our crew with a 401k, I'm going to kill him. Meaning you don't retire. You know, if you got five million in that 401k, when you get caught, you're going to want to tell. You know, you had to be a hustler. And that's just the way it was. Yes, it was fast cars, fast money, fast drugs. Uh, I lost three million dollars in casinos. I lost a quarter million dollars in two weeks. I drugs, my own limousine, homes, boats, horses, had it all. And always was making money. So it wasn't like I was uh, I enjoyed making it. and. You know, it was funny because a friend of mine said, Larry, you know, back in those days, you were always searching for something. You were never truly happy. And it is true. You know, it's hard to tell someone who never had money that, oh, you don't need the limo. You don't need this. And they go, what do you mean? You fucking it'd be great. And don't get me wrong. Getting it the right way would be right. But, you know, when you're always looking over your shoulder, you don't know when the axe is going to fall. It's 
easy come, easy go. You know, you, you didn't earn it. I mean, you, you earned it by what you did. But I'm talking about that, the process of, wow, I, I made something out of nothing and I could be bragging about it. Because you can't brag about it, obviously. You know, oh, yeah, great jewelry robbery. I just did an interview for my show, a show coming out Saturday. There were two young kids that worked, or my neighbors that worked for me. And I used to teach them. And they broke my heart the other day. Now, they talked about, oh, my God, he brought us on his boats and his horses and his money. And we cleaned his limo. We helped build his clubhouse. I mean, you know, clubhouse was huge. And these are two 40-year-old men now. And they were young kids back then. And it was funny because they said how much I actually helped them in a good way by always telling them, listen, you don't want to get in my lifestyle. This is the way I grew up. Don't get in there. You know, I used to say, keep your nose clean. You know, you don't want to get involved in drugs. You don't want. And they were around it. I mean, it was amazing how well they came out. And I did not know this at the time that their mom and dad were breaking up and the mom just moved out. I do remember, but I didn't know how deep it hurt them. They were at that time. One was 15, one was 14. And they knew me and I got arrested when one was 17 and the other was 16. So it was three years they were with me. Very impressionable times of their life. And they said how their life really crashed when I got arrested. Because the show I'm doing with them is the day I got arrested, that actual day, with the helicopters and the cars and the whole thing and everything through the house. And how it affected them, how their lives were coming crashing down because they didn't know what to do because they revolved around coming to school to school, coming to see what I need. And they would bartend for me. And I had a nine foot bar. They'd bartend and they'd clean up and they'd clean a limo. But it really showed me something there, Raph, that how much we affect people in what we're doing. Good, bad or indifference. You know, there are going to be people around you you affect. I'm glad to hear, and I'm so proud of them both. And I told them that, how well they showed up, how well they got out. He, one kid said, he goes, it was funny. He goes, I think you saved us. He goes, because when other kids were getting in trouble and they were 19 and they go, hey, you want to party? We looked and said, well, that's all you do? I mean, we were with Larry. I mean, it was like, you know, <laughs> we saw the parties with, with women and cocaine and drugs and you know, everything in the world. He goes, I remember coming in the house and on the pool table was stacks of cash you talked about. You, see, you ever see that much? And it was probably half a million dollars in cash. Here's these kids being exposed to this, but I'm always telling them, don't do this. Don't do this. Stay in school. Get an education. It was some, I, I don't know if it was my Jekyll and Hyde way. I don't know. Or maybe knowing deep down that, you know, my life, I never thought I'd live to 50. I mean, that was the way we lived. I know you and I spoke when we were in prison. You didn't think you'd live to 30, 40, whatever it was. And now, I mean, even as a criminal, I didn't think I'd live to 50. You know, 50, holy shit. Now, look, a 50's a kid, man. I'm 60. So, you know, and I look at that now and uh, I I don't know. I, I just look at our life and I want your audience to know I'm not proud of the crimes I committed. I did them. People said, oh, you're a bad guy. No, I think we all do bad things. I don't think I ever was a bad person, but I'm not proud of those. But I'm, it, it's, it's funny. I, I, of course, you know, people, what would you do if you met the people? I'd apologize, but I'd hope they'd get over it because life has to go on. You can't blame me for everything that happens in your life or anybody can. And I, and I hope that people 
you know, I forgive. I think that's a great thing. Things that happen to me. I hope everybody understands regret is a, such a, a wasted emotion. You know, our past makes us who our future is, period. Whatever it is, it is. What happened to you was as wrong as wrong can get. But it's making you the man you are today, the good father you are today, the good person you are today, the hard worker you are today. You know, your past makes your future. Now, you regret, regret, regrets. What, what's regret? Bill Gates said it best. Richest man in the world says, I, I would change things. But regret, no. Think of that. No, it's such a powerful testimony. And the other thing is you actually paid the price. And let's get on to that, actually, because of the, the prolificness of your, your robberies attracted the attention of the FBI. And it was the FBI, not a local police officer or anything like that. That It's my understanding that it was the FBI that linked all these robberies together because they were done in a similar way across the states. And that's how you got caught. So just and, and you mentioned a moment ago that these young boys were devastated when you were arrested. So just just talk me through briefly, because I do want to get on to your time in prison and what you're doing today. Now you're free again. But just talk me briefly through how your reign of robberies came to an end and, and what led to that. And then what was the consequence, Larry, in terms of prison sentence? And then let's talk a bit about what it was like in prison for you. Sure. Quickly, uh, I got arrested in 1996. Uh, when I was arrested, it was the helicopters over the house, the cars coming through the thing. And I got uh, arrested by the major case squad, the, the FBI. They're good. Don't anybody ever kid you. They're good. Local police we never worried about. I didn't even know the FBI was on me because a robbing of a store in the United States is not a federal crime. But if you rob something and you bring it across state lines, that makes it what they call Hobbs Act, interfering with interstate commerce. Once you do that, it becomes a federal crime. You can rob a McDonald's in the United States. They can make it federal if they want, because McDonald's buys its potatoes from Idaho. So if it gets its potatoes from Idaho, you just rob that and you interfering with the interstate commerce. So if they want you, they can get you. That's a way to fit. And the feds wanted me because of organized crime. And they got me under what they call the RICO Act, Racketeering Influence Corruption Organization. That came about in the early 70s so they could get mobsters because they weren't doing the crime, but they were organizing them. They were making the profits from them and they were ordering them. And that's how they got. They made the law. So anyway, I got caught by the FBI by just great police work in one of the towns. I did not know this. When I did a robbery with the right M.O., because it was the same M.O., they would flood an area with 20 agents. They would actually confiscate the cameras from so many miles around that robbery of every store, the Wawa stores, 7-Elevens there, like little coffee shops and stuff. And they would take those wrap and then they would start putting them together. And again, the FBI's got the resources and the manpower to do this. Now, when they did this, one of the places I did case but did not rob was a lady who got my plate number and says, oh, this guy was a nice guy and he, he I was going to get his information to sell him a ring. So she got my plate number. But the plate wasn't registered to me. It was a registered to, to a, an associate of mine who was 350 pounds. And at that time, I was 180 pounds in great shape. So it wasn't this big fat guy, but I was a co-driver. When the FBI did more work, they get the co-driver, which is me. And then they go, uh-oh, organized crime, because I previously got arrested on 
having $35,000 in cash and a few grams of drugs in my car. And I said it was for a Corvette and I was going to Atlantic City. Ended up costing me money, but the lawyers got me out somewhat and got a small conviction, but they knew organized crime. That's what they linked. Then now, why is this organized crime guy onto this car that they got? And then they got my picture from there. They showed that around out of like the 20 stores, only four of them. 100% that it was me. Only the four. That's why they got the 20, but they only could convict me on the four. They convicted me in four stores and three and a half million in four different states. Four different states. So I had the most convictions in a federal district, they call them. Anyway, so that's how I get arrested. The helicopters, this, they process me. I end up getting sentenced and I beat a gun charge. In the United States, if you have a gun during commission of a felon, you get five years for the first robbery, 20 for the second, 20 for the next, 20 for every robbery, no matter what. And it has to what they call run wild or run consecutive, not concurrent in the United States. So if I did not beat the gun charge, I would not be free because I would have got 85 years just for the gun. And then the robberies, I got another 12 years. So I end up beating the gun charge and I still get 12 years. So it's not like, oh, he got three years. He's going home. I got 12 years and I got 12 years because I would not snitch in maximum security prisons in the United States. What was the 12 years for? What were the actual convictions? For actual RICO. Hobbs Act. They call it the Hobbs Act. H-O-B-B-S-A-C. The Hobbs Act racketeering. The Hobbs Act is interfering with interstate commerce. By way of robbery, murder, you can murder someone and it's not a federal crime, but if they could link it to unless it's on federal land in the United States, they could link it to a mobster and then make it a federal crime under the RICO Act, murder, under the RICO Act, robbery like I did, under the RICO Act, extortion. They can do certain crimes that are not federal crimes per se. They make them federal because they put them under the RICO Act. So Larry gets caught that way. So your connection with the mobsters, and I, you know, we talked about that when you were a child, but as an adult, were you? I, I don't want to go into detail here, but just so that the audience understand, when you are nicked and arrested and charged under the RICO Act, the Racketeering Act, although the robberies you were committing were for your own self gain financially, you know, to support your lifestyle and what you were doing, what was the connection between the jewelry robberies and and the mafia? Was there a connection? I was kicking money up too. So ah. it wasn't like, yeah, they weren't. It, I had the protection of the Gambino crime family. I was associated with the Gambino crime family. So, okay. and they did, they obviously, and the reason you have that just quickly protectional or you need to be associated with in the United States, if you're somebody at my level of robbery and another family finds out about it and they know you're making millions of dollars, they're going to take you and they're going to get you. And trust me, if I want money from you, I have. And I get you in a chair and I got an iron or whatever I got. I'm going to get whatever information I want out of you. I love those tough guys. You ain't getting out of me. Trust me. Trust me. If I wanted it, I would get it out of you. I don't give a fuck how tough you think you are. Nobody's that tough. I say, if you got me in a chair, I'm going to give it to you. Now, don't let me get out and find you. Then it's going to be different. But trust me, I know the game. Trust me, you can't stick up for that. It, your, your body's not built to that, you know. Anyway, with that said, I ended up getting four 12-year sentences, but they ran them concurrent. 
not consecutive. Otherwise, I had to do 48. So I ended up doing four 12-year sentences. And a lot of people will ask you, and you've probably heard this, you, you'll see a guy get triple murder, you know, three murders, he gets three life sentences. And they go, what do you mean? You can't die three times. No, but if you beat one of those cases on appeal, you still got to do the life if you got two more. If you get, you know, like me, if I would have beat one of my cases on an appeal of some, something or I still got to do the time. I still got 144 months, 12 times. So that's why they do that. So anybody, you know, wants to know, oh, why do you give someone three life sentences or three, four, 12 year sentences, whatever it is? Because they, they're protecting themselves and being smart. They know they got this one. They're going to give it to them, make it a conviction on that. And, and it's also retribution for the crimes. So your 12 years and the rest of the sentences for the other robberies, was that the first time that you would have now gone to prison? So this is your first? No. Uh, no. 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 I, I, I was arrested for one for the drug. Well, I got caught with 35000 I was in New Jersey, so they sent me to jail there. Then I had to get out, and then I had to do a process. I ended up getting paper, what they call it in the United States. But when I was a younger kid, I was arrested for robbing cars and stuff of that nature. So I wasn't a virgin to the system. I was a virgin to the big boy system to where I was going, which was maximum security federal penitentiaries, which I love people go, oh, I'd rather be in the feds than the states. And the United they don't know what the fuck they're talking about, right? Because in the states, it's a smaller system. People know each other. You could pay whose brother knows this guy. Money means something. In the United States, federal bureau of prisons, they don't give a fuck who you are, how much money you have, what mafia boss you are. They can care less. They will treat you. It's the worst of the worst. Are you talking about prisoner on prisoner or the guards towards uh, the prisoners? Always. Always. Uh, prisoners, I mean, obviously, we all have respect from what you did and stuff of that nature. You understand that. But even the guards, the guards in the system itself don't give a fuck who you are. They don't give a fuck. They will put you on a plane and send your ass from Florida to, to, to like me, Arkansas, which is fucking 2,000 miles away. You know, just fuck you and your visits. Fuck this. You know, they love their policy, the federal government. And I had a person say to me, they can't do that to you. I said, trust me, the United States went to Panama. They made the president a drug dealer. They put him in a federal prison in the United States, and they can't fuck with you? Who the <laughs> fuck are you? <laughs> now, there are, there are different ways of doing time in prison, and I suspect that depending on what country you're in and what those systems are like will dictate how you do time. But, but I'm still, you know, with some insight about what life is like in prisons around the world, I'm still a strong believer that you kind of – regardless of what's going on in those prisons, you can sometimes carve out your own survival. You, you know, you can be. Oh, absolutely. How did you sure. do your time, Larry? And what, what was taken out of your control? I mean, did you go and keep your head down? You had a reputation, no doubt, of being a dual thief. And so people had respect because of the nature of the, the crimes you committed. Uh, how did you survive the, the years that you were in prison? And what was it like for you? Well, you know, great questions. Obviously, you know, a lot of these answers, but they're, they're typical. You know, there's a couple of sayings. You do time. Don't let time do you. And you, you find your own niches, your own your education. You, I became educated. You know, I had a reputation. One is not being a snitch. Uh, and, you know, I like when you call me a jewel thief because that's what we call our, our, our YouTube channel. But I was a jewel robber. I mean, I went in guns blazing. I mean, I wasn't a sneaky, you know, you think of a thief as a guy going on the second floor and getting in somewhere, you know, 
No, I was a brazen robber. And I don't know if that was in prison, as you know, that that shows your your set of balls, so to speak. And people respect certain crimes, as you know. Uh, but it's not even just respect. You don't go in and say, I'm a jeweler. Because the next guy next to you is a murderer. The next guy next to you, you know, fuck, it was a gang, a real gang leader. And he killed five people and cut somebody's head off. He's going to look at you like, who gives a fuck? You're a robber. I mean, get the fuck out of here. But you go in and you, you know, I, I was lucky, uh, rap, because I was 34 years old when I went in. So I wasn't a kid. I had a maturity level. I was connected with the mob that helped. So people knew, yeah, oh, he's with those guys. And when I went to a prison, they knew it. They made calls. They knew how stand up I was. And you were accepted into that. What do you want to call it? Click or whatever you want to call it. Now, I also got didn't get into the politics of prison. And, you know, the politics. Oh, don't go with these guys. This guy. Get the fuck out of here. I don't want to hear it. What families beefing with each other. I used to go in there and try to be a gang mediator because, you know, and they'll take the whites in the United States. The whites make up about 15 percent of the prison population and they're fighting each other. I said, what is what's wrong with you? You know, I mean, first, all prisoners should stick together. I mean, we should have a common goal, be either become better or run the prison our way, live our best life we can. I was in prison in Atlanta. We had 2,000 inmates, 880 had life, 880. So, I mean, it was like a very, you know, you had to call out your own life. Some guys would fight their case legally. They got into the law of bribery, like guys like you fight legally, fight legally. Then other guys fall into the life. They get a lover. They go to work. They, you know, I mean, I've been to weddings in prison. And then there's 200 of those 800 that are psychopaths that are just chasing drugs, trying to do something. You know, I mean, trying to control things. They, they, I mean, they're psychopaths. And, you know, they're really I mean, the murders and stuff that happens. I carve my own niche by uh, going to the law library studying the law. I did the law for 10 years. I got my paralegal degree. I won cases in court and helped people get out of prison. And I didn't do it for money because I had money. I did it and I helped people. And that was my, I mean, I knew guys who had hustles and they were real good and they were really good. To this day, they're very good. But I did it for more to help. And I ended up fighting the prison system. That was my thing. I, I didn't like the way the system itself in the United States really abuses people. And That's it's probably one of the most dangerous, one of the most dangerous positions to take, as you and I know, you're not, you're now up against the system. I mean, how did they respond? Because I mean, it's one thing helping prisoners kind of navigate their cases or, or challenge things that they believe to be wrong. But when you're taking on the system, you suffer as a consequence. And no doubt you did, Larry. I ended up spending three years in a hole. One At one stretch, I was 11 months. They put me in the hole and they were beating me. Uh, they give me goosebumps. Uh, I was strapped down naked, beaten, tortured. Guard took his dick out, peed on my face and kept saying, right, keep right and senators, Lord. Because at that point, I knew every avenue to work. The courts, suing the system, suing the attorney general, suing everybody and also going to the media. There's articles out there you can find that Larry that put out there. I compared one prison I was in to Abu Ghraib, the prison in Iraq where they had the abuses. Uh, that didn't go over too well. And they tried to break me. And if it wasn't for my dad, who since passed, who would write and make sure and I had congressmen. And if I didn't really now looking back, if I wasn't smart enough to bring the media involved and get congressmen involved. Because once they're they were. 
campaign. They knew they couldn't mess up either because there was a lot of the public that wanted to know what was going on. And that was a savior. Little did I know that it's a coordinated effort now. I just happened to do it. If you're going to start suing them and suing them and fighting the system, like you said, the system, you better get the other people that also want to know about it who could say, wow, if he dies, what happens next? And my dad used to be very close to me, visited me in every prison, wrote me every every other day. And we write back and forth very close. And the people I had on the outside were very close. They would write senators for me after I'd ask them to tell them to do an investigation. We used to get legal mail into the prison. And that legal mail would be from a senator. And they get the, the system hates it. It's like anything else. You get a job and there's someone questioning how you're doing your job to the real people who matter. Then they get nervous and they ended up end up firing people and doing a lot of things. Uh, and what what was it that you were challenging? What what were they doing in prison that you didn't like that you were sort of writing to senators about? What was it that you were witnessing or experiencing yourself? Well, the first of all, medical. There was zero medical care. I, I, three of my friends died. Three of my friends died. One man went to the medical department. His own guy he worked with, the guard he worked with, or they call him CMS, the guys work around, like fix the stuff. He works for me. He's having chest pains, arm pains, 46 years old. His name's James Art. Knew him, sold three cells from me. And he's looking crap. He goes to work one day. His arms, his own guards get to medical. You look terrible. He goes to medical for the third time. They said, ah, you got gas. They give him Maalox. He walks back to the unit. My buddy Jimmy Brown and I watching a TV. He walks in and he looks ashen. And he goes, guys, I'm dying. And we put him in a chair and he keels over and he dies right there in front of us. And, you know, you've seen men die. And I have when a man dies, they defecate themselves. They release. And the guards threw me in the hole uh, through. They, yeah, he screamed, lockdown, lockdown. You know, when he goes down, we're trying to help him. And I, my cell was near the door coming into the unit. And when that happened, Raph, uh, I watched them laughing when they put him up. He was dead. And they were they laughing. They didn't give a shit. And I got so mad when they interviewed everybody in the cell block. They want they come up and they go, oh, you saw him hit his head, right? Hit his head. I said, you killed that man. You killed that man as simple as fucking somebody shooting him. Lock him up. And they locked me up and uh, threw me in a hole. And they started to shut me up. And I wouldn't take it. I am, if nothing else, the most resilient motherfucker people will ever want to run into. Because I get so mad when justice now, listen. You could call me and, and I was wrong. And that's why I don't sit ever on my show or anywhere and say, oh, I, I didn't do it. I was wrong. I belong to go to prison. How's that? Did I belong to be tortured? Do I belong to get no medical care for myself? I, my whole spine is crushed. I have a, a, a zipper mark from the top of my back to my, to my ass. Total fucking. I had 15 vertebrae done in my back. I got rods and 47 screws in my neck and back all the way down. I got zero medical care. Well, they did that and killed three of my friends in one prison. Killed them. No medical care. So I was big on the medical care. Then they throw you in the hole and they're supposed to do all these other shits. They don't do any of them. Supposed to give you recreation. I love that. The prison system, and I'm sure it's everywhere, has a great wording that gets them out of trouble. For the safe and orderly running of the institution, we're canceling recreation. For the safe and orderly running... They don't even feed you sometimes. But it's safe for all the Get the fuck. When I used to read that, I used to get so mad when I do a reply. I said, you people are just uh, uh, worse criminals than us. Now, don't get me wrong. I also support good guards. 
So if you have them here, I support good guards 100%. Just like I support good cops. But if they're bad, you know, I'm going to expose them as they should me. I want to get close to the point where you're released from prison because you served how long of those 12 years? 12 years, 11 years, 11 years and a few months. So the, so the whole time. And how did it change you? And what did it make you determined to do when you come out? Or what was your intention as you was getting closer to your release? So you were taking on the system in particular around medical because of what you witnessed. You'd been brutalized by the system. I can't imagine somebody standing over me and pissing in my face. And I don't expect anybody who's listening to this to to imagine it themselves unless they have a a particular fetish but (laughs) let's not go there um that's not (laughs) how did prison change you and prepare you for when you got out you know as i got older you know i went in at 34 i got out of 46 years old and what happened was as i grew older and seeing young kids gangsters as we talked earlier which are not gangsters. Uh, You come into prison at 20 years old, 21, and ruining their lives. A buddy and I said, we got to do something to help young people. They think it's a joke. They come in here as tough guys. Every one of them either getting fucked or getting bitched out, whatever it is. I mean, there's no, I call them, there's no 20-year-old tough guys, period. I don't give a fuck who you are. You'll either be manipulated, you'll be, uh, you know, abused some way or another. We need to let these young people know. So when I, part of my goal obviously as an educated man and getting my degree in law, I got offers for jobs with lawyers. I'm not a lawyer lover. Leave that alone. But I I didn't want to help young people not go to prison. So I developed the reality check program, which is now the number one program in the United States. It is a four part program is my life. What prison is really like, not what you see on TV, what you're going to lose. And has nothing. It's not just time. It's your family. It's your future. A lot of things you're going to lose. You don't realize. And then the fourth part of my program is avoiding and dissolving bad association. So I take that four part program. I built it, and it's mine. I trademarked everything, and it's on a video. We sell it. It's used in the court systems here in the United States. Some court systems use it to sentence people to give them an eye opener before you know they get into real crime. The guy, the kids that are shoplifting and doing stupid shit underage drinking. Those kids need to see what can happen if they keep making bad choices. So I developed that. Obviously now, you know, I have that. I am a best-selling author and also YouTube. YouTube gone crazy on me. I mean, it's gotten to the point we were the fastest growing channel on YouTube. We had over a million subscribers in a year. It's just nuts. And we're gaining 40,000 subscribers a month. And what is it you're doing on your YouTube channel that is attracting such a huge audience? Because you and I know people often talk uh, about prison or ex-offenders in, in a kind of derogatory way, you know, job opportunities are zero. But you're obviously proving that actually talking about what goes on in prison and the legal system is of interest to people. Well, you know, I really think it's what, what happened and what makes it so powerful in my thing. One is I bear all and I tell the truth, good, bad, or indifferent. I don't sugarcoat my crime. I don't sugarcoat the system. If it's good, I talk about the good guys. I interviewed good guys. Guards that knew me said, man, Locke was a stand-up guy, but he was, you know, uh, he wouldn't tell. Or you, know, I interview guys. I actually take took my channel and said, when I started my channel, I says, I have to keep it real. And I have to tell it like it is. I'm, you know, all the good, bad, and indifference. You have to do it all. 
And if you do it right, people want to hear the truth. You know, what I found out, Raph, is you can't, kids, especially younger people, will spot bullshit a mile away. I don't bullshit them. I don't give a fuck. Either like me or you don't. We all put our pants on the same way. We all jerk off the same way. We all do the shit. We all do. We're all normal people. Whatever your pickle is on, they are. But we're normal. I think we all have our own little thing. But somewhat normal, maybe. Whatever yours is. I tell kids in my class, listen, you're you. If you want to go jerk off on the top of your house and not bother anybody else, not let it, go do it. Nobody gives a shit. Have fun. Be you. But respect and be treated the way you want to be treated. You know, treat people the way you want to be treated. And I try to do that every step of the way. I try to give the same reference to a anybody who writes to anybody who writes it. And if I can help, I'll help. And if I can't, I can't. I know I can't please the world. You know, you now you get thousands of requests and then you, you got to say, OK, you got to do that, that, that. And I have people now looking through them and stuff like that. So I think what has happened, Raph, is that my honesty and open front my story's crazy. I mean, I ain't the biggest jewel robber. That also helped mobs, the biggest jewel robber, shitty prison life, educated, and now helping people. So, I mean, you don't get money. You might get the guy who's got the shitty life to do this, and now he's just a bitter old fuck, and he's out there cursing. <clears throat> you know, I'm not bitter at anybody, you know. Uh, people ask me that. I have a judge told me, said, man, Larry, you, should, you have some points to be bitter. I said, no, I don't. That's an excuse. I said, that's an excuse. I said, is it right? No, but it's an excuse. If I say, ah, fuck it, because I got, I got abused in the prison, now I'm an asshole. No, that's an excuse. Learn from it, educate, try to educate others on our mistakes. I deal with a guy, and I'm having him on my show. He did 28 years in the United States prison, did not do it. He was found innocent, not only by DNA, and I know the kid, he was 21 year old. His first day in the prison here, he was gang raped by five guys. Gang rape, 21 years old, great guy, big case. Look him up, William Dillon, Bill Dillon. And uh, he's a great guy, and he's not uh, hes not bitter. And they gave him like a million bucks. Or to, are you fucking kidding me? They should have gave him a million for every year he's in prison. Are you kidding me? A million dollars. That was an insult. I was so mad. And I had to go through all this shit in this legislation. And he's a good, he did not do it. Satellite from Florida right here. And I'm having him on my show. I know him. I've had him on a radio show I had before. And he's a good, we've become friends. And 28 years. And they had an illegal dog handler. The, the detective was fucking the witness. I mean, it was just, it was it was the biggest clusterfuck you can think of. And this guy, kind of like your case. And it's sad to see those kind of cases. Because it sucked for me when I was guilty, Rap. I can't even imagine being you or Bill and, it, and being innocent. I mean, that's why I give you his credit. I mean, again, it sucked with me. I, nobody deserves to be tortured. Nobody deserves to be treated like an animal. Now, be innocent of what they're telling you you did to get tortured. And now you're like, what? I mean, you know, he, he, to that, that to me is mental toughness. That's, that's just a great thing. And, and that's why I do what I do, um, or it's part of what, what I do. But, you know, this is not about me. My audience know a lot about me, and I will continue to tell them but what's your, you know, just as we bring this to a close, Larry, and your story is fascinating, and we haven't even scratched <laughs> the surface, but it, it does give people a flavor. You know, I mean, you spent 12 years in prison. We could talk about every month. You could probably oh, tell me a different yeah. story about what you witnessed. You, you talk about the harrowing, you know, of, of your friends dying and 
being pissed on and, and beaten by guards and that in itself is just unfair but what what's the end game for you and when I say that I'm not talking about I know that you can always develop change and, and continue but what is your end game at the moment so part of your your mo at the moment is getting teenagers to realize that a life of crime is the wrong way to go and that they should take up other opportunities you've got your youtube channel you've got your podcast you've got lots of things going on in particular most importantly is the work that you're doing trying to divert young people away from the experience that you went through and and the life that they could end up being involved in if they continue down the wrong the wrong path is there anything else you're plotting and planning or are you satisfied with where you're at at the moment larry you know i try to be satisfied no matter what ups and downs that happen. I think they're going to happen. You know, one of my biggest things and I tell people is to be, you know, I went through 10 years of just making it, so to speak. And I never gave up on what my dream was, which was to help more people get to more people, have a bigger audience and everything else. And people say, "Ah, why not allow you offered this, do this? No, I never quit because I believed in that, what I did, no matter what that is. I think everybody should do that. So, but my goal at this point, obviously, we're expanding. I have another book coming out, a prison cooking book. <laughs> okay. And it's all prison meals and stuff of that nature with the stories that go around that, obviously. With that, I, I just want to go, you know, I'm six, I'll be 60 years old in October. As a matter of fact, you'll be getting an invitation to something. I'm 60 years old. I want to go for another five years. And then I don't know if I'll ever retire. That's not my nature, so to speak. But I'd like to tail back because people don't understand how much work a lot of what we do is, you know, and you have and I'm very if I say I'm going to be here at 10 o'clock, I'm going to be here at 10 o'clock. That's just my nature. Again, my word from not being a rat. To, if I of course, if something happened, I would say, hey, I could make it. I got sick. I re-. But people today don't do that. They're oh, OK. No, if I tell Raph I'm going to be here at 10 o'clock, I'll be here at 10 o'clock. That's it. I said something for that reason. And I, I just and I don't want to ever lose that, but I do want to enjoy. You know, I have two grandkids and two two children, and I'd like to enjoy more recreation time with them, obviously. And and that's part of of our goal. But like you said, I love. I get so many emails of how how you're affecting people and how you help my life, and I know you get them too. And no matter what happens, Raph, they're the best things that make it. You, you know, you could say, oh, yeah, no, no, they hit you hard. Some of them just that story of what happened. And, 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 and I, I, I hear you because I think you, like me, are not expecting that because it was never an ambition. It was never a desire. And that's what makes it all the more rewarding. And I suppose it's your ignorance. It's that unexpectation that people turn up and they sort of say you're an inspiration. And you scratch your head and you think, why am I an inspiration? I am exactly the same as you. I'm not doing anything that you can't do. It's only I've had certain experiences that gives me, you know, the wisdom to share with you how, and you said it, resilience, how you survived your experience, why you did what you did. You don't try and look for excuses. And I admire that you accept responsibility. I admire that. And you're, and you're, I hate to use the term giving back because it's just who you are today. You're doing what's right for the right reason, not because you're trying to impress somebody, not because you're trying to, you know, 
live a life of redemption, but simply because when you look in the eye of a young man and you see the unfortunate experience or life that he or she is leading, and you can say something or offer something that may give them a chink of a different direction, you are in a position to do that. And that's why so many people listen to what you have to say. Um, And a lot of what you do is quite funny as well. I mean, so it's, you know, you're adding humor to to what is otherwise a really depressing state of affairs. We're talking about prison. We're talking about, you know, what some people see as as the sort of lowest of the lowest who end up in these situations without really understanding their story. So I hear you. Or you're coming to that point in your life where you want to hand your empire, if you can put it that way, onto someone to sort of say, look, my legacy is is important to me. Don't fuck it up. You know, I've achieved so much in my own life, but now it's time for me to sit back. And yeah, I, I, I hear you when you say that. But you've still got a lot of work to do between now and then, haven't you? You know, one thing, and I'll say before we leave, like you, you two, when they call and they write, it's, oh, you know, you're my hero or you're, you're my role model. I hate that. I, I appreciate it, but I, I'm not. I'm a human being. I'm. I, we all have the behind the scene flawed shit. We all have. I don't care who you are. We have it. I tell people that don't ever think everybody's normal because nobody is. I don't give a shit if it's the Pope. I don't care who it is. <laughs> so don't think they're not, you know, have their own. And we all do. That doesn't mean we're not good people, good human beings. We want to see the best for people. And I think that's you, myself, that really want to, because because we have experienced something that we don't want others to experience because there's nothing good about it. You know, people say, well, it made you who you are. Yeah, but I wish I did it through a CEO. I wish I did it through another way. I lost, you know, the years of my life. My daughter was 15 months old when I went to prison. I got out she was 13. My son was six or just turned seven. I got out and he was 18 years old. How do you, you know, you can never get that back. And I don't want people to have to experience that. And if I have to open some wounds and peel some blood and so they don't, it's worth it. So I appreciate that part of it. And I think that'll always go on as long as recordings like we're doing today are going to be out there you know these are now and you're in the media field for your whole life this is digital this is there this is not going anywhere you know and that's okay i mean the bad too but that's why i said when the bad comes out don't say oh larry's my hero because that'll come out too you want the porn pictures i'm sure they're out there i want the who the hell knows what the hell's out there and you know what i'm okay with anything in my life i really am because i think deep, deep down i'm i'm okay with who i am I'm okay with who I am. I want to help people. But you also could kill yourself by trying to do too much. And you have to, one, make sure you take care of yourself first. And because you can't help others unless you're healthy, help yourself. And I think that's important. And and I'm happy with it. I mean, I'm happy to do this show because I know you and I know what you're trying to do as well. You're trying to open people's eyes and stuff and the second chances in your life. I think it's just amazing. We need more of it, not less. And what would your message be to people? What's your final message to people in terms of what you do, Lo? When they come to your channel, inside of all the the humor and the serious messages and the education, whether it's about prison food or it's about how you rob this or why you shouldn't do this or how to protect yourself from that, the insight that you have either from your own experience or that you've gathered from other criminals who you spent many years sitting beside and learned from and and understand. And and you and I both know, and 
most people that go through our experience, and I'm talking about that confined space, you have that deepness in your eyes that only we can recognize because we've been there. People who've never been there can't see that. You know, they look at your eyes and they think that they can, but you and I know what what we mean. And anybody else who's done time, and, and I'm talking about time where they've reflected on who they are and what they do. I'm not talking about the guys that we know just run through the system and don't really stop to think of where they are and what they're doing. They're just doing the same old in prison in the same way they do on the outside. And even if they've spent many, many years in prison, they come out and they've never really reflect, reflected on that confined space, that 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 hole and all the experience. So in among everything that you've done, if there was one message that you could send to my listeners, what would it be, Larry? Make one good choice a day, whatever it is. Make one good choice a day. And that could be help somebody. And I, I always try to do this. Open a door for someone. Go through a toll booth and stop for five seconds and say, I hope your day is going. Thank you for doing it. You don't know if that guy was going to commit suicide and somebody said a positive word to him. So you try to do one good thing and one good choice every single day. And the other one is be who you are. And what I mean by that is I don't care what we have to do for our audiences or our lives or our families or whatever. Long as you can look in that mirror or in prison, the stainless steel, or in any mirror, and know who you are and be okay with who you are, everything else go fuck themselves. Just know who you are. I don't give a fuck what it is you are. And I don't care what it is. I really don't. Just know it from yourself. And everything else will work out, whatever it happens. You have to do things for jobs. I get all that. But you won't be happy unless unless you are happy with yourself. So know who you are. Look in that mirror and be you to yourself. Everything else is all in a game. Hype is a game. And make those good choices. One good choice. Because one good choice is going to lead to another good choice. Before you know it, you're going to be a better person. And that's what I got to say. And that's it. I, I, I'm going to shut up because you know me, Rap. I can go forever. But <laughs> and I'm sure go. my audience my audience could listen to you forever. I could go right back to the beginning and start unpicking some of those other robberies. <laughs> I, know, you know. I know. We yeah. will someday. I'm sure we will. I'd love to know which one, you know, robbery, and I'm sure the audience would, which robbery, you know, got you the bestest haul? Did you ever keep one of the watches? Did you turn one of the diamonds? Oh, there's so I'll many you, stories I got. But yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I, 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 I smuggled diamonds, uncut diamonds from Sierra Leone to the UK as a journalist, not as a criminal. So I went out as a BBC journalist um, to expose the conflicts that that diamonds create in places like Africa where people were chopping limbs off. I remember going into a a market place where all these artisan miners who would nick the diamonds from the fields that they were working in would come and sell them. And so they pour all these diamonds onto a table. So there would be thousands, but they were all black. They didn't look like diamonds. This is before they get brought to and processed and shined and cut and graded, etc. And I remember being there with a secret camera filming this guy as he was selling me these diamonds. And I bought a few thousand dollars worth of diamonds. And then I smuggled them back to the UK. And I always wondered why I never kept one and had it polished and put into the ring that I then used to get engaged. So it's always really interesting to know what happened to the bits and pieces. But look, like you say, this has to come to an end. Larry, thank you very much for sharing your story. It's a pleasure talking to you always. And I wish you and the work that you do 
all the best. And I know this is just the beginning of what can develop into a good friendship before you retire for good. So thank you, Larry, for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Raph. 100% agree. My best to your family and, and what you're doing. Keep doing it. And obviously, as things grow and they are with you, you know, the bigger your audiences get, the more they're going to want. And just always remember that, too. So watch your time with your family. All right. Thanks very much. I really appreciate Thank your audience, too. And if they can find me, they know where it'll be, I guess, in your links or whatever you do. Have a great day, Zach. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this podcast and please share and follow us on social media. It would be great if you could rate and review on the site where you listen to this podcast. If you want to support or advertise on this podcast, please get in touch. If you think I should get someone on the show, drop me a direct message via Instagram, Twitter, Facebook or any other means you have to make contact. Audio editing is by Audio Avalanche. The original music is by J-Road Productions. The cover design work is by Studio Minerva. Our guest booker is Tegan Parsons. And me, your host, Raphael Rowe. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.